the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise and he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. Welcome back here to the Triple Threat Podcast Retrospective Part 2 of 2018 featuring the guest stars of the Triple Threat Podcast from this past year, including some of Shane's best friends in the professional wrestling industry, taking a look back at some of the finer moments from those episodes, which you can check out on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire located on over at Podomatic.com or over at our website tmptofwrestling.com where you will find episodes featuring some of these guest stars as well as the regular episodes of the show but these episodes in particular some of these segments we picked out here are absolutely unbelievable when you think about some of these guest stars and what they can bring to the table we take a look back at the segments featuring stars like Justin Credible. Mikey Whipwreck, the great Vince Russo, the queen of extreme, Francine, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley, and Shane's trainer himself, Dominic DiNucci, taking a look back at their appearances on the show and some of these highlights, including Dominic DiNucci's unbelievable retrospective on his friendship with Bruno San Martino in what was a very emotional couple of days that both Shane and Dominic DiNucci had after Bruno's passing earlier this year in 2018. And you'll hear that in Dominic DiNucci's segment. But then you'll have a couple of laughs as you look back at the early days of Shane's career with Mick Foley, as well as some of his time in TNA with Vince Russo, as well as those days in WCW. And then when you get a guy like Mikey Whipwreck into the mix where we talk a little bit about Terry Funk and some of the hilarity that would go on with Terry Funk and some of the tests that you might have from that time frame of ECW and all the things in between. So this is a longer episode here, so I'm going to get right to it. Let's get on over to this 2018 retrospective part two with the guest stars of the Triple Threat podcast. We want to thank you for listening. We want to thank everybody who's come 
on the show as well to be a guest. And hopefully in 2019, we keep on pushing forward and we have more guest stars and we have more moments created on the Triple Threat Podcast. So for me, JP, and the franchise, thank you so much. Have a happy new year. We'll see you in 2019 where the Triple Threat Podcast is going to get bigger, better, and uh, hopefully to steal a line from the franchise, Shane Douglas, you will get your ass franchised when you listen to his Triple Threat Podcast. So let's get on with 2018's Retrospective Part 2 right now. And I don't, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass right now. Anybody that's ever, ever heard me talk does the same thing. You were putting in solid performances every single night in ECW. I was watching closely because, to me, as the guy sitting on top of the mountain, so to speak, uh, I knew you know the Taz and the Sabus and the Sandmans, the guys that were my peers. But I was looking behind me like that next generation coming up because one of those young bucks is going to be the guy that knocks me off the, the, the mountain. And sure. watching you, I was watching you closely, uh, and you were putting in not just good performances, you were putting in impressive performances night after night in ECW. And it was that undercard. You know, I, I hear fans all the time say, Shane Douglas and Taz, Sabu, we, we were ECW. You know, what fans fail to remember, and I've always said this, you know, we're, you know we, none of us are 10 feet tall. But if you listen to the legend, we're all 10 feet tall. None sure. of us ever missed a spot. But if you look back at that time, uh, yes. there, there was a, the, the core team that started ECW, but that got us off the ground. Then we had to have a second generation and a third generation. And with guys like you coming in and Lance Storm and Jerry Lynn and so many others that were really blowing the roof off the place, uh, that did two things. It satiated the crowd and showed us that we had we weren't just a gimmick, that ECW had a deep bench. And beyond that, it was holding guys like me and Funk and Taz and all the rest of us that were part of that original generation. It, it, were, it was holding our asses to the fire because these young bucks are tearing the fucking house down. And, sure. uh you know, so it, it was, you know, it was one of those things that was all feeding off of each other. But right. don't sell yourself short into what you provided in the ECW because it was, we launched it, but it, it could have fizzled quickly. You guys carried it into the into the stratosphere. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, thank you, and I agreed. It was, it was a whole bunch of us that, that man, and uh, but it was, it was that though. Uh, it wasn't, it was, it was so effortless because I was doing what I loved, yeah. and I, and we were giving the uh, opportunity to do it. So really, yeah. it wasn't a to me. It wasn't a matter of effort. I wanted to go out there and kill every night. Sure. Um, we were allowed to do it, and so it was. I, I wanted to always be that guy. That could be, you know, I wanted to have, whether I did or not is, is up to opinion, but many nights I did. Uh, I wanted to have the best match I could have. Not saying it sure. should be the five-star match or whatever, but I wanted to do the best I could do, you know, and, yeah. and at least give that effort. And I think we all had that attitude. And um, it just made for uh, a really great product. 
You know, yeah. uh, you know, I think everybody brought that to the table and everybody took it seriously. And um, it was just, uh, it was just, it, you know, it was a perfect, uh, perfect storm that uh, will never be duplicated again, no matter how hard you try. And um, it was a special, special thing in time, kind of like how, you know, I, I, I always say it was punk rock to what in the music scene in the 80s, in the, you know, in the 80s. You know, it was sure. just a thing that, you know, it was disco and then disco was dead and then all kinds of this weird shit started happening over here for that. Or alternative rock, you know, the grunge movement. It was just that that time, that short time of just game change. That was the game changer. And then everybody started to change. Yeah. You know? Do you remember do you remember ECW the same way? Like in my recollection, as I look back to ECW, uh, aside from the incredibly fond memories, uh, to me it was uh, like magic in a bottle. You know, like uh, I didn't know it at the time, didn't see it and recognize it at the time. But looking back on it now from a distance, uh, there was something special going on in that bingo hall. Uh, it, it, you know, I'd never seen it before anywhere since in, in, in a wrestling business where you'd come back from a match and the dressing would give you a standing ovation. Uh, I'd never seen it anywhere before or since, but there was some kind of a a chemistry and an ambiance, a a magic that was in the dressing room that made it, you couldn't, you know, as, as physical as ECW was, when you went home on Sunday, you couldn't wait till the next weekend to get back there. Right. Well, you know what it was, man? It was truly, you know, um, the island of misfit toys. And yeah. Paul Paul gets credit, sometimes too much credit for some things and not enough credit for others. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he really let us, the, some of the stories really wrote themselves. Um, yeah. And he, he, let, he let you do, he let you creatively do a lot of things. He let Tommy do a lot of things. I really was never into the creative thing, so whoever I was working with, we would mesh. But, you know, he'd have a basic outline. But nothing, like, not this meticulous thing, but his genius was putting ECW, you know, the brand was over. Um, yeah. So when guys, if a guy left, um, you know, if the money came calling, you know, I can't blame anybody for taking it, and I wish I would have taken it when I had the opportunity you know, um, uh, things would have been a little, well, who knows what it had been, but, you know, but either, either way, I mean, uh, but he, he made the brand over and it, that was, it wasn't, it could go without one guy or two guys, not the whole core, of course, but he really, he made it, he made it, um, the atmosphere and everything. And his genius was making us believe in each other and in ourselves. He was a great coach. Uh, not so much Booker. He was a great motivator. He's a good bullshit artist. <laughs> He's, he, he was good at looking you in the eye and telling you that you were fucking great. And whether yeah. he believed it, believed it 50%, whatever. I don't care. And it really doesn't, I don't, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't insult me anymore. I've gotten the resentments there are way gone. But, uh, you know, he was great at, as a coach. Because sometimes, you know, because we all had that hunger, and we'd be lying if we weren't, that little bit of right. us that wanted to be 
to vindicate, to validate, because we had all been somewhere else, or most of us had, some of us did. Well, the ones that did knew that this was the time that we could shove it in everybody else's, up everybody else's ass, you know? <laughs> and Paulie would get in their face with the with his fucking, you know, the hat and the fucking jacket in the, in the <laughs> middle of fucking summer, that fucking long trench coat, sweaty, and <laughs> looks like the penguin, and, you know, just all... <laughs> And just give you that speech, and you know he was so charismatic and so full of shit, but so good at it that uh, he really made you go out there believing in yourself. And really, yeah. it it just goes. It's a testament to the to the human possibility of of guys who are already outstanding athletes and good performers, when given confidence in a platform to perform, what they are capable of. You know, it okay. really is because because it's like a pitcher, or uh, the best. Oh, great analogy is Tiger Woods. He's uh, one of the best of all time, and for the past mm. I don't know how many years, he fell off due to injury and lots of surgeries, sure. and and you know now he's coming back. And I'm not a big golf fan, but I watch enough sports TV to know what's going on, and he's starting to kind of get his uh, his groove back. Yeah. And uh, it, it's something really similar to that. It's like when you stop believing in yourself, even though your 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 talent is still there, your mind and your talent aren't working as one. If you have that, you know, a lot of basketball players or they or football, baseball, the, you know, when you're throwing that pass, you see that pass. Mm. You can see it before you throw it, where it's going to go. You know, and it's like that visualization. Paul helped with that visualization. I would literally do a match, you know, because I knew so well the arenas. Like, I knew what corner, literally, even though it wasn't planned, that I was going to back myself into because I knew where hard camera was. And I always right. saw the the aisle in, in my head and where we'd have to place. And it was like a perfect dance. It was just a, it was just a yeah. perfect venues, perfect person motivating perfect stories the fans were as big of it big a part of it as anything because it was the yes. first time fans really participated yes. um to that degree um it was just and we were cool shane we were <laughs> cool we were we were wrestling that was okay for kids to say i like wrestling how right. kids watched wrestling then you know, they'd go out and drink beer at one in the morning and, and watch ECW at their, you know, dorm rooms or whatever, or their fraternities and or clubs, sure. bars, whatever, whatever, because it was uh, mature audiences. It was tits and ass. It was blood. It was violence. It was fuck you, motherfucker. That's how we talk yep. in real life, by the way. Yes. When I'm pissed, when I'm pissed off at you. Right. Like, right. Fuck you. I'm gonna kick your ass. Not hey, I don't like you. Uh, and this week, I'll point, to, I'll, I'll point to the one-night stand or anarchy rules sign, and we're going right. to meet at, you know, like the WrestleMania point, you know. We're meeting at that place. Yeah, hey, we're there. Gonna, we're going like, to do it. It's like, fuck you, dude. Let's go, motherfucker. <laughs> I don't know if you got this when you started, but when I started, they were telling me, you're doing too much. You're doing way too much. Yeah. You're doing too much, and you're doing it too fast. 
said, yes, slow down. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and Terry Funk said, he said to me, God damn it, Mikey, slow down. And if you think you're going too goddamn slow, slow down. I said, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and then, and then I'm, I'm watching these kids now, 25 years later, and I'm saying to myself, God, they're doing too much. And I'm, I'm t- they're, they're doing more moves than I did. And I thought back then I did too much. Right. Yeah. You know? and, and I get the business change and it's going to evolve a bit. I, I still think, but there's, there's a, there's a lack of, like you said, Shane, being organic. Well, here's, kind of here's the difference though. When, when Terry Funk came and said that to you, did you listen to it or just ignore him and say, oh, he's just an old guy trying to slow me down because I'm faster than he is. And, you know, the business has passed him by. Or did you listen to every syllable he said? Oh, I listened to every syllable. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Did, did, I ever, did I ever tell you a story about him sitting next to me at the Holiday Inn in Philadelphia by the fireplace? Did I ever tell you the story? No. No. It's, yeah, but <laughs> anything with Funk's a great story, so I'm all ears. He, he gets a six-pack of beer, and he goes, Mikey, what are you doing tonight? I go, oh, nothing, just kind of hanging out. Come down, come sit here with me. I said, okay. So we're sitting by the fireplace, and he goes, and he opens up a beer, and he gives me one. And he goes, you know, when I broke in in Texas with my dad, and and then we did that there, and then I came with Dory Jr., and then we started to go to NWA. We worked with Holly Race, and and then we went down to Florida with Dr. Jerry Graham, who's going to do a This went on for the whole six-pack from, I'm saying, a good hour, hour and a half. Right, and I, I just, I'm sitting there going, this guy's fucked up. Like this guy's seriously like, right? So he goes, well, are you on the show tomorrow? I said, I said, yeah, because this we did, we did the arena show on the Friday night, and then we did TV on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, right. So, so he, he goes up to his room, and I'm thinking to myself, that was the most coolest, <laughs> most whacked out, insane thing I've ever been part. <laughs> so I get up to my room. And Paulie calls me and he goes, he goes, Hey, you know, come up here. So I go up to his room and he goes, Terry Funk fucking loves you. And I go, why? He goes, he just fucked with you for an hour and a half and you didn't say a word. And when I was training guys, I said to them, I said, that is a highly exaggerated example of coming in and keeping your mouth shut. I said, yeah. because, because self in my head, this is ridiculous. Like, I don't know what's going on, <laughs> but this is really, and in, in between the hammer, 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 I kind of got the story <laughs> where he was going, you know? Yeah. But, but I said to the guys, I said, this is an example of someone who had an ungodly amount of experience, who was a legend in the business, who at almost 50 yeah. years old at that point was still on top. I said, he mm-hmm. took the time to sit down and talk to me. And yeah, he played the old timer thing and he kind of messed with me a little bit, ribbed me. I said, but I sat there and I took it. So from that day on, though, every time I saw Terry, he got a big smile on his face, said hello, always watched my matches. He would give me advice. If I asked him for something, he'd give me advice. And just because I sat, listened to him, and I I passed his quote unquote test. Well, that's what it was. He he wanted to see if you were going to sit and listen or if you just like sit there and like excuse yourself or whatever. And right. it, it was a test. That's exactly what it was, but very similar to that, but like on an alternate vein, uh, you know, 
remember how high strung I used to be? <laughs> and I, I called Terry one day, uh, you know, ready to strangle somebody. I said, how the fuck, after all these years, how the fuck have you put up with this bullshit? And I'm, I'm cutting a promo for 20 minutes. And at the end, he goes, well, Santa, I'll tell you. And he's going on, you know, in the, in the same spiel. And he goes, I'll tell you. And he kept asking me in the middle of it as he's going through that spiel. Yeah, Shana, you know, hey, listen to me, Shana. Yeah, I'm listening to Terry. Well, you know, Shana, you got to, <laughs> man, I tell you, Shana, you listen to me? Uh, and he's going, same exact thing, just drawing this whole thing out for 20 minutes, what he could have said in three seconds. And after 20 minutes, he's well, Shana, I can tell you, there's only one way, God damn it. Shana, you listen to me? <laughs> there's only one way, Shana, there's only one way you can do it. Shana, you listen to me? I said, yeah, Terry, I'm listening to you. I'm listening to you, Terry. He goes, well, Shane, there's only one way you got damn you can put up with this business. Ha, ha, Shane, are you listening to me, Shane? There's only one way you can put up with this business. Shane, you're going to be crazy like a fox. Ha, ha. Shane, you're going to be crazy like a fox. And then he went right back into the character. And it was the first time in all the years I'd known Terry that he had dropped that front. I'd always thought right. Terry was Terry. That was Terry, the, the crazy yep. funk. And it, it, like, the light bulb went on. Like, holy shit, it's all a work. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, you know, I, at that point, I was 15 years in the business and was still learning. Uh, <laughs> every night working with Terry. He was incredible. He is incredible. Yeah. Numbers are really good, um, but I can tell you something. When, when I was hired, um, and he, I, I was in line to to get a um, a draw one evening, and he pulled me from line um, because earlier in the night I I was talking to Johnny Ace in his office and I was crying and I had said I I'm begging you for my release, and Johnny's like we're not giving you your release, and I was like Johnny please you're not using me I'm not happy. So he must have went and told Vince, and Vince pulled me from line, and and Vince uh, Vince is like, take a walk with me, and we start walking, and um, he goes, you know, you're a beautiful girl, and beautiful girls are a dime a dozen. I have no idea what you can do, and I looked at Vince. I, I am not really? when I say this. I, I looked at Vince and I said to him, didn't you buy our tape library? And he <laughs> yeah. just looked at me. And he's like, well, I didn't watch it. Uh, oh, I don't watch geez, it. Yeah. You know, and, and, I'm, and, and then I'm like, okay, well, he has his crew that watches stuff and reports back. And, sure. and then I was told that, like, Shane McMahon was the big ECW, I don't want to say Mark, but fan. He loved ECW. Right. That was Shane's thing. So I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe Shane told his dad who to hire. And that's how, or, you know, I know Tommy had a big part in it too, but for Vince to tell me somebody that was hired that he never saw my work and didn't know what I can do. Like I'm thinking to myself, how on earth am I standing next to you under contract (laughs) in this building right now? Seriously. Like it it, it, it blew my mind. It just blew my mind. But you know, and, and then I said, should I have even mentioned the, the library? But it was the first thing that came to my head. Like, if you if yeah. I bought something for whatever amount of money, I'd sit there and I'd watch it. I'd be curious yeah. to see, you know, what they were doing or what, what the competition was. He never watched yeah. us. I don't and, know. And certainly, 
certainly you'd at least go back and you know, I know like Howard Finkel does a lot of that kind of stuff. You'd go to Howard and say, I'm thinking of hiring this girl, Francine. Can you pull me up some clips so I know that you would hire somebody, like you said, put you under contract and have no clue what you're capable of? That's what Incredible. he said to me. That's what he said. And, and, I, and you know, I, I was blown away. And, and then that's when I kept saying, you know, well, I'm willing to work. I'm willing, you know, because they had me doing bikini stuff. I just want to work. I just want to work. I was told I can do what I did for Paul. Let me do what I did yeah. for Paul. And no, no. So senseless, you know. When I was up there in '96, and I've told people this quite often throughout my career, it was the worst six months of my entire career before or since. Too. I mean, worse than I was any there indie six run. Too. <laughs> Ooh, tough, tough run, wasn't it? But <laughs> yeah. he never once, and him and Jim Ross and Pat Patterson, they, every television, they would ask me a million questions about ECW, but I picked up very quickly. One thing Vince never did was use the letters ECW with me. He would say, with like some backhanded euphemism, when you were in the bingo hall company, when you were in the minor leagues, when you were in the blood and guts company, when you were in the wow. small pond. And, you know, and, and I, it, it wasn't lost on me. I was catching it every time he would say that. And I kept thinking to myself, how long will it be before he says ECW to me? And he never did. Right. Never one time said those letters to me. Which to me is pretty astounding, considering like you said he bought the library and hired how many people from there. Uh, right. Pretty telling. I didn't get it. I, I didn't get it, and and there's everybody was willing to work just as hard as we worked for Paul, you know, yeah. and yep. and just we were all just dumbfounded, and we never we would just get sitting Twitter and you just stare at each other, and and we're just like, I wonder when we're getting released. <laughs> That's what we said every week. I wonder when we get released, you know? So it was it was brutal. Brutal. It, a, it was apples and oranges. A, yeah, and that's a fun way to go to work, isn't it? Every week thinking that and wondering that and uh It was horrible. Wow. It it was it was just hard I told you my stomach was nuts. I hated getting on the plane. And then there were times when I would get a phone call from from Howard and and, and he would be like he would be scared to tell me. And he would say, "Oh, you know, you're not on the road this week." I'd say, "Okay, thank you." And I <laughs> so happy because I knew I was getting paid. I'd get my check on Monday, and I'd get to sit home, you know. And and like you know, I guess the boys would be upset. And I was like, "No, we heard it's fine, thank you." And I'd hang up, and I and oh, I'm, I'm home another week. I loved it, you know. Like for someone who was willing to work. And willing to put their body out there and, and, and do whatever, you know, in the ring and take the bumps. They didn't let me do anything. So I, I value Paul for just, you know, giving me a chance, being green, didn't, you know, never knew anybody in the business and just got out of their wrestling school. And, and he gave me such a break. And, and I'm so thankful to him and to you because you took me under your wing. And, and um, I think we ran with that ball. So we, we did pretty good. For ourselves and had fun and had a hell of a lot of fun doing it uh had a lot of fun yeah what amazes me for anyway what you're just saying i mean i i I've, this has resonated in my head since i was there in 96 but you know if if every kid playing you know pop warner football right now aspires to one day play in the nfl they would cut their right and left arm off if they could go right to the nfl um wouldn't be very good once they got there but uh the same thing in, in every other sport. I 
for wrestling, and I'm hearing now through the great, you know, several grapevines that the kids up there now are miserable. And, you know, you and I both experienced that at different tenures there. But it astounds me that for all these people in this business that work as hard as we work in this industry, that once they get there, there's this big letdown, like, I can't wait to get out of here. And I don't know if anybody's ever played in the NFL that says, boy, I can't wait to get out of here and go play for the Canadian Football League or the, the you know, the, uh, <laughs> the Arena Football League. Uh, uh-huh. it's, it's, it's astounding, but it really does speak, I think, of the style and the way that they, they, they treat people up there. It's it's like the, the hope spot, you know, and <laughs> the false hope spot, and then, and then it's taken away from you, and you're just like, I got the rock. Uh. I got a rock, you know, it's Charlie Brown at, at <laughs> yeah. Halloween. It's, uh, you're dumbfounded. It's, it's so, yeah. um, it's, it's traumatizing really, because then you, then you're questioning yourself, you know, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. Like, why, why aren't they using me? Or, and, and I just, you know, I was never one to, um, I don't politic behind the scenes. Um, yep. I, I never, I never had to. Um, right. Cause, and, and you know, as well as I do, I mean, Paul was so one-on-one and open and, and, uh, you know, you mm-hmm. can call him and, um, he was easy to talk to and, and he was there for us. And, um, uh, Vince is just, he, he was totally different. Um, not really approachable, although, um, the one, the one meeting I did have with him, it you know, he told me, um, next time you see me, he goes, you have to run, run up to me and smack me on my back and, and ask me, what have you got for me tonight, Vince, or something to that effect. And what he got really? for me, Vince. Yeah. And, and I looked at him and I said, are you sure? <laughs> I, 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 was, I was, it was weird, you know? And he goes, no, nope. because next time you see me, I want you to run and, and smack me on the back and say, what do you got for me tonight, Vince? So we were at Monday Night Raw. It might have been a week later or something. And I see him, and he's standing there with a. Please bunch of tell kids. me you tatered him. No, well, no, I hit him really ah. hard. Um, I did hit him <laughs> in the back because I smacked him. But I ran like a fool. This is me in my mind frame. I ran down the hall like a nut, and I went up to him and I smacked him on the back. I said, "Hey, Vince, what do you got for me tonight?" And he hugged me. And as he's embracing me, I'm going, what am I doing? Like, what? I don't understand. Where's this going? And he he let go of the hug, and he looked at me, and he said, that's my girl. And he walked away. And I go, (laughs) I'm standing there. Like, everybody walked away from me, so now i got to walk back to where I was, and I felt like a fool. But he put me on TV. They wrote me into TV. And so for the next two weeks, I was on their television, and then Ball, they paired me with Balls Mahoney, which I didn't care. It was fine. I was his manager. And then Balls took um, the piss test, and he, they found something in his urine. So he was on a suspension. Hmm. So they call me, and they're like, get your bathing suit ready. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. No. And <laughs> I was pulled off TV because they had no one to pair me with, you know? Um, but so, so he was, I mean, he was nice to me. I'm not saying he was, he was a mean person or anything. He just wasn't that approachable person that Paul was. Paul was just hands-on, listened. I, you know, didn't feel uncomfortable when, like with Vince, I just, I was just like, I don't understand what's happening. (laughs) 
intimidated by yeah. this man, and he's just larger than life, you know. And uh, Paulie just was—he was just like one of the boys, even though he was the boss. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, I, so it was just different, really different. I've always tried to psychoanalyze this myself, and, and have events over the decades. But uh, to me, I, I always look at it like, you know, what do you get a billionaire for Christmas? You know, you don't go out to eat that. Right. Here's a nice tie I got you, or here's a tie, or here's a you know a nice set of pair of slacks, or a nice dress shirt I got you. I think what Vince does, and, and I've seen it, you know, so many times, both before I was there and since, and now hearing your story, uh, that. I think he genuinely gets off and, and enjoys playing with people's lives. And, you know, when you're trying to set up your life and set up your career and, and do things like that, that's a pretty condescending way to treat people. I think, uh, you know, for my mm-hmm. two cents worth, I, I just, I think it's bullshit. Uh, he can, you know, it's, it's, he's, He's Vince McMahon. I mean, he could do whatever he wants, you know. Um, well, I'm not saying I'm the best worker in the world, but all I wanted was a chance to prove that I could. What you could do. Right. I could do something. Um, I, out of the locker room that I was in, out of all those girls that were still, you know, that been working, I had the most experience. I Back then, I was 13 years in the business. That's like a vet. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, here I am going to catering. Does anybody want anything two, three years? Ago? Give me a water. Get me a cookie. Get me this. Get me that. Okay. And I'd come back because <laughs> it wasn't my locker room. And I'm just trying to fit in. Yeah. And, and I wanted to make friends. You know what I mean? And, and sure. I said to myself, wow, I just, I just wanted a chance. And, and I didn't get that chance. So um, it, it just wasn't a pleasant experience for me there. But, you know. It is what it is, and it, it, I, I knew it was going to be my last run, big run, and I figured, let me give it a chance, try and make some money, um, and yep. see where it takes me. And and I remember traveling one weekend with Al Snow, and I was telling Al, I said, when I signed my deal, I only wanted to sign a year. I didn't want to sign for three, and they wanted me mm-hmm. to sign three because they wanted to, they wanted me to prove I was loyal. That was the wording they used. So I had to sign a three-year deal, and I was telling Al that night, I said, Al, I can't stomach it anymore. I'm not going to last the three years. Oh, yes, you will. Yes, you will. And I'm like, I won't. I said, I'm telling you right now, if I last a year, it's going to be a year too long. I lasted six months. Six yeah. months. That was it. And, and, for, you know. and that's from somebody that's already proven themselves in the business and obviously has a connection to the fans and the Best he can come up with is when you see me run up and hit me on the back and say what do you got? Yeah, that that is so incredibly condescending from where I come from. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd I'd have more respect for you if you just say, "Hey, fuck you, Francine." Uh, you know, if there's if I got something for you, I'll give it to you. Right, and that that's what that's what I was asking Johnny. You know, I just said, you know, if, if there's nothing that you want me to do in this company, let me go. If, if there, you know, I can talk, I can bump, I can work. If you don't want me to do any of that, let me go. We're not letting you go. You know, just, just tell me. And all I wanted was a fair chance. And, and, and they just, you know, it, it just wasn't given it, given to me. So, yeah. um, 
you know, it's it's fine. Whatever. Well, you said you live in your. You learn. said something. Yeah, absolutely. You said something earlier that really stuck out to me when you said, uh, and I, I'm not putting words or verbatim, but something along the lines about you know, how open Paul was and you know how Vince mm-hmm. was so you know difficult to approach. Now, how many times have you heard in your career the phrase, you know, oh shit, you know, you drank Paul's Kool Aid, as if we were all under oh, a yeah. trance there doing yes. something. And, and, and the reality of it is that you worked your ass off. We all worked our asses off for Paul was because of what you just said, that it wasn't open for us. We had a question. We could call him or go to him, raise it and, you know, bring it up and, you know, get some feedback. It wasn't just this condescending, I'm the exalted one. You can't approach me. Right. Right. Here, here's the thing. And, and this is what people that, that talk about the Kool-Aid and all that BS. This is what they don't get. When you're, I was there for seven years. I, I, I mm-hmm. trained there. I started training in 93. Um, I did house shows up until they debuted me from in 95 for television. Um, mm-hmm. Up until 2001 when, when we went under, I stayed the whole time. I was offered a couple times to leave. I never left, never wanted to. Um, when you love what you do, and you have the passion for what you do, and you believe in the people you work with, you're going to try to believe whatever people are telling you because you want to work for that company. I wasn't under a trance, and I, you know, I was, they didn't hypnotize me. I believed in our product, and I wanted to stay right. because I thought maybe there was a chance that something would come through. Um, the mm-hmm. last night in, in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, I mean, it, it was devastating for me, uh, because Paul didn't even come to that show and it was our, it was the last show that we ever ran and all the guys are in the ring drinking beers and cheering, you know, whatever. I was in the back crying because mm. I knew we were done. We, we knew it. We knew it, and I, I couldn't make my way out there because I couldn't breathe. Uh, to me, yeah. like, part of my life ended that night. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, 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 it just, it, it's hard because you, as a, as a locker room, we gave everything to that company. And yeah. it, just, it, it makes me angry that, that people talk like that because, I mean, we loved it. We, we tried to, we worked for free. We tried to help. We tried to save it. You know, we did all that we could as, as performers. Um, you know, we <laughs> we could have broke checks and gave them to Paul to help. <laughs> but we didn't have yeah. fun either. You know what I mean? Like, that, that would have been the final straw that we could have did. But none of us had the money to do something like that. But, I mean, we stuck it out until the end because we believed in the, the product. Um it, it wasn't because we, we were like disciples or we're, we were just right. people who wanted a company that we loved to last. And, and unfortunately it didn't. So, um, yeah, I hate when I hear, hear that Kool-Aid thing. Cause it, it, if you didn't live it, you don't know. So people just need to yeah. stop. Okay, guys, I swear to God, this is up there in my top three moments of all time. 
I was working at TNA. Me and Shane were working at TNA, bro. I was working with Shane, and we were working, you know, Orlando, uh, you know, the Universal Studios, whatever the heck they call it. And, bro, uh, one night when we were working there um, at the Hard Rock Cafe, Paul Stanley was giving a concert to date the night after our show. Yeah. So, um, you know, Shane and I were very, very tight with Dale Torborg, bro, one of the nicest guys you'll ever want to meet. Forget the business. One of the nicest guys yeah. you'll ever want to meet in your life. R- right, Shane? That's right. Yeah, this absolutely. Guy, I could agree more. Yeah, he'd give you the shirt off his back. So, bro, Dale brings, yeah, Dale brings, and Dale's a total kiss mark. So the three of us, me, Dale, and Shane, were total kiss marks. Shane, was there anybody else? I don't think so. I think it was the three of us that walked over after the taping. We walked over to the uh, House of Blues. Yeah, we walked, okay, so me, Shane, and Dale, this guys, this is a true story. Every time I think of it to this day, I pop. So, Shane, you know, Paul Stanley had just come out with an, uh, a solo album at the time, Live to Win. And uh, right. we went to his concert, right? Shane, Shane, you know that. You know what I'm talking about. So, yeah. bro, the three of us had a blast. You know, Shane was singing along the whole nine yards. All right? <laughs> so, guys, after the concert, Dale brings us back to a green room. And he tells us he's going to get Paul Stanley and he's going to introduce us to Paul Stanley. Yep. So, bro, me and Shane are in there. Shane, am I right so far? <laughs> Absolutely on spot. Okay, because everybody says I'm, I, I'm, a li- I'm a big liar, Shane. So you got to confirm I'm telling the truth. <laughs> so, so, guys, uh, uh, Dale leaves. He leaves me and Shane alone, and he goes to get Paul Stanley. Bro, Shane comes back with Paul Stanley. And I will never forget this as long as I live. Freaking Shane, before my very eyes, transformed into a 12-year-old child. And Shane stood there. I swear, Shane, please, if I'm exaggerating, tell me. Shane stood there. Yes, I'll never forget this. Shane stood there, eyes wide open, as Paul Stanley came in and outstretched his hand to Shane Shake's hand, and all Shane could say was, Paul Stanley, Shane, right or wrong? (laughs) Shane, right or wrong? Well, you're wrong on one point. It wasn't 12 years old. It was 10 years old. (laughs) I I will never, as long as I live, forget your reaction when, when we met Paul. It was absolutely priceless bro well well and, and plus it was you know it was a huge you know, I, I grew up a huge kiss fan like we all did but also we had just seen an incredible show i mean he put on you know for anybody that's not a kiss fan and says well, well it's just a makeup and this and that go see paul stanley without the makeup and, and watch what a true showman he is just incredible and you know for us in our business you know seeing somebody that is so incredible and, and, and deft on stage uh, is astounding. You know, he, he you know, we, we all like to try to hope that we can incorporate some of that charisma in what we do in yeah. the ring, but uh, he, he's incredible. He was a yeah, great and Shane, guy. The, the, the thing that really stood out to me, the one thing that really stood out is, I mean, you know, Shane, you know, me and you very much alike, you know, you know, kids yep. were like 
are gods growing up. And, you know, we yeah. saw them, I, I mean, you know, bro, larger than life. The one thing that I'll never forget about that day, bro, is when he walked in as Paul Stanley, out of costume, out of makeup, out of heels. Bro, he was tiny. Remember that thing? <laughs> well, yeah, that was the first thing I thought, because remember growing up, they all said they like were 6'1", six, 6'2". Six, and, you know, I'm six one, so, like, when he, he walked by me and he was about up to my nose, I was like, man, you know, we're near <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we realized that the heels had to be like four feet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah, that was, a, that was, a... that's one of, yeah, that, that's like my, my fondest moment of Shane. I'll never forget that as long as I live. What a great moment. We had a good damn good time. Share with us where, where you first met Bruno San Martino. Bruno San Martino, I met him in 1956 between uh, uh, Toronto and Montreal was a TV station there. We did the TV. That's the first time I saw him. And I hmm. was just starting too. And uh, and he said to me, he said, where you come from? And I said, I'm from Italy in a little town, La Provincia Campo Bas. And he said, oh, my God. He said, we were about 40 miles away apart, but we didn't know <laughs> each other, you know. And since then, we always stand. Uh, Sometimes he was going to different place because he mostly was in New York, and I was oh, traveling the other end of the world. Uh, but we made a sixth trip together in Japan and in California, and Australia, and any, anywhere else. We we almost did the world one time because we were in England and uh, and many other places. We were in Germany. And, we, and uh, I was in Italy in 1988, but Bruno didn't come because he was in engagement with the, the company he was working. Mm. Uh, but it's, uh, I'm not going to try to to tell, but I don't think you can find a best man like him. Yeah. And a good wrestler and strong like a bull. <laughs> was, yes, yes. Because I remember when he picked up a, the man with 500 pounds in New York. And hey, he bought a slam. That's right. And bought a slam like a nothing. And I mean... <laughs> You know, uh, now, because he's not here anymore, but uh, I cry for one week for him, you know, yeah. and, uh, because it was, was nothing, uh, the best friend I ever got in my life, and we got along good very well, and, uh, and I hope someday I'm going to see him again. Um, uh, I'm sure he will, Dominic. He, yeah. Did, did you guys always find it crazy? Uh, uh, you know, you always hear the phrase, you know, the world's a small place or what a small world. And you guys both came into wrestling from completely different directions, uh, growing up that close to each other in Italy, never knowing each other. And then mm -hmm. all the way on the other side of the world, yes, yes. connecting in the, in the wrestling business. Yes, because when 
Uh, well, if you guys, I mean, you guys are young guys because the, the member of the ward in her 40s, uh, we did the rough time with the, the ward coming through. Uh, yeah. The little town where we come from and where Bruno, Bruno have to stay up in the mountain, my God, and you read a lot of the things that they did, uh, the mother, what it was doing to, for to feed to the kids. And we did the same thing because we live in the farm. But uh, uh, when I decided to come to leave after the war, I told my dad I'm going to leave. And he said, where are you going? And I said, I don't know, somewhere in America. I want to go in America. But I didn't have I didn't have a chance to come in America because of the law, because mm-hmm. Italy was against, uh, you know, against the war with the United States and everything else. Um, so I come in to Canada, and uh, that's where I met Bruno in Canada, in Ontario. And <laughs> we've been friends since then. Uh, we always, um, he were, but actually, a lot of time he helped me because when uh, when he left Australia, he said, where are you going to go now when you finish here? And I said, I don't know. And he said, why don't you come to New York? Uh, well, I've never been in New York, uh, <laughs> so I said, possibility. Uh, so when I finished Australia, I, I got back in San Francisco, and I called Bruno, and I said, I'm back in California. And he said, where are you going? Well, I said, I'm going to drive to New York. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Is that what you drove, drove away? I drove from San Francisco to Washington D.C. <laughs> Jesus! Wow, Jesus! And and now probably probably you can't believe. Sometimes I don't believe myself because when I left to San Francisco, I drove one thousand miles, no stop, just drinking water, put the gas in the car. You don't eat or nothing. Uh, just drink water. And I, I drove 1,000 miles, and then uh was in the middle of the highway. I saw the motel that I checked in, and I slept for 10 hours. And the next day, I left again. And three days, I was in Washington, and it's 3,300 miles. That's 3,300. How, 3, how old were you at that time, Dominic? Oh, I was very young. I got a lot of pep. <laughs> <laughs> well, had to, well, you had know, to for that kind I of wasn't a, I wasn't a 30, 35, you know. Yeah. I couldn't do anything then, you know. I, I don't need to sleep a lot, and I wasn't in good shape. Uh, I when when I came in, uh, I was passing through Pennsylvania, and I called Bruno, and he said to me, he said, where are you? I said, well, uh, I'm on the turnpike. Uh, actually, at that time, we didn't call it the turnpike. Uh, I said, I'm going I'm going to be in Washington. He said, okay, I'll be there tomorrow. And uh, when I got in Washington, I go to the hotel, where they keep me the dress to go. That's where the office of Vince Bingham was. And I got there. And I met Vince Bingham 
the next day I go work out to the YMCA. When he get out of the YMCA, he's, he's coming out, I'm going in. And he look at me and he said, who are you? And I told him, I said, I'm Dominic Danucci. Oh, okay, he said, uh, I'll come back to the office later. And uh, and then the next day, Bruno come in, you know, and uh, I stayed in New York a little bit. And, uh, but then we travel a lot. With Bruno, I travel everywhere, man. It was, uh, was a pleasure. And uh, Bruno was uh, a man that couldn't do anything. Uh, the first time, one time I was in Solomon, uh, New York, on uh, the gym, the bench press 500 pounds, and I said, oh, my God. I said, uh, <laughs> I said, for me, 300, it's enough, you know, I could yeah. do more. Because <laughs> yeah. well, he said, well, you got a long, long arm, you can't do that. <laughs> Dominic, the uh, stories, you know, I, I've grown up hearing them in the business, but, you know, you, not just from you, but from fans around the world. Uh, can you share a little bit with us, you know, you, you said about what a good person Bruno San Martino was. But I've heard yes. so many stories, people saying, uh, what a gracious guy, what a classy guy. And I, I can speak from that from my own experience. Can you share a little bit of that with us about Bruno San Martino? Yes, Bruno never, when you wrestle or when you work out to the way I'm seeing, wherever you're going, if somebody was coming, can it be a young guy, young lady, or old lady, an old man? We want an autograph. Bruno stop everything he does. He did yeah. sign the autograph to everyone. And that's, I mean, when we were on the street, uh, not that the, when you wrestle, when you wrestle, you sign the autograph. But sometimes, like the, the New York, the Garden, you can really sign the autograph because after you finish, uh, you go different way, you know. Right. Uh, but everyone... Uh, and that's Bruno got a good reputation because uh, he did everything to to make happy the, the crowd, the people, you know. Uh, look, I, I never I never see a guy like that. Mm. The way the way he was, he was friendly with everybody, but don't yeah. step on his foot either, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is a uh, special visitor. It's the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. Oh, hey now. Ah, nice. <laughs> I was told there's a birthday. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for having me on tonight. Yeah, well, guess what, Mick? You, Mick, it's awesome to have you on. We uh, we interviewed you on our other podcast, the Two Man Power Trip, and we dropped the old, uh, hey, we're, uh, we're buddies with the franchise to cash in a favor down the road, but I got... <laughs> I got some funny news for you here tonight. Not only are you on the Triple Threat Podcast, you are on the Unbirthday Spectacular because the Triple Threat Podcast has been duped and swerved by the Wikipedia gods and uh, the it's franchise. Actually, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Wikipedia is incorrect on the on the information that they have on the website. But you should have known that whenever you saw the 
second wife, or the, who was really the first wife of the franchise. That's wow, where you no kidding. Know that the, <laughs> Uh, you know, Shane, there's a there is another little uh, error that's frequently uh, it's it's uh, it's in the information for both of our careers. Do you remember Shane and I decided that we would have a better chance getting hired if we padded our resume to make it look like we've been working two years longer than we actually had. <laughs> So we got together and just decided we didn't start working in 85. We started in 83. And to this day, there is, a, you know, I think the common knowledge is that I broke in in 1983 just because Shane and I decided to say it was so. We used to do a lot of things like that. Like I remember one time going to Clarksburg, West Virginia, we decided that we were going to take a little sojourn to of all places, Cactus Jack. Cactus Jack. Uh, uh, you, you were you were half correct. You are correct that we we went to Cactus Jacks, but we did not decide. <laughs> you decided <laughs> that we deserved wow. to open the show, <laughs> and and I think I grudgingly I think I grudgingly went along with you because at that time, like you and I were having like the state of the art independent matches, and uh, and uh, and Dominic really believed in that strong opener. And you strongly believed, and then convinced me to oh, yeah. hold time out. Time out. <laughs> I, I gotta, I gotta push back against this. I'm not remembering the I came up with it. Uh, <laughs> I do remember us being at Cactus Jack. We bowled a game. Uh, I, I believe we had some beat and drink, and got to the building, and Dominic was none too happy. Yeah, he 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 did not buy our car breaking down story at all. First thing he did was he asked for a receipt. Uh, yeah, he wasn't <laughs> cut us off right at the knees. <laughs> oh man, I think it was the uh, the the you know the butcher the um, necro butcher. Uh, I, I met him, and I was surprised to find out that. He had started why he was at some of those Clarksburg shows. Uh, as a Is that band. right? Yeah, he was there the night that uh, Tony Nardo came out of the stands to help Crusher Klebanski. Uh, no or kidding. maybe Yeah, yeah, like he was, and so he probably saw me and you stealing a couple shows here and there, and uh, yeah, we just <laughs> thought we deserved it. We'd already, uh, you know, I think it had gone to our heads just a little bit because we'd done 100 West Virginia with uh, yeah. Bill Watts' group, and uh, and they were really high on you, and we had Terry Taylor and Chris Adams and Buddy Roberts, you know, just, uh, you know, believing in us. And I think the next time we came to town, we just decided that we deserved better than the... <laughs> Mick, do you remember the, the night in Clarksburg, West Virginia, when during the Bill Watts uh, UWF shows that Dominic had put on the tour, do you remember Eddie Gilbert and Terry Taylor pulling you and I out and back in the Clarksburg building? And yeah, I didn't know that it was Clarksburg. And they asked if we had ever thought of going on the road. And, and I always tell this story because it's not to sort of aggrandize, self-aggrandize. It, it was n neither of us believed we had the talent to go on the road and be professional wrestlers. Uh, you know, those guys on TV were fantastic. 
and right. we might be good for the local level. Is that was that your recollection as well? Yeah, yeah. My recollection was that uh, they. I don't know if I didn't believe that we had it in us. I don't know if I thought we were there yet. And I do remember that it was it was it was uh, Eddie Eddie in a major way, uh, but Terry Taylor also in a major way, and uh, and Chris Adams as well, and and Buddy yes. Roberts. You know the way, and you know we had been around. We hadn't been we'd only been around a few years, but long enough to know they weren't you know just blowing smoke that they really saw something in us. Uh, and yeah. I'll add Missy Hyatt to that group too, as people who. Uh, yeah. You know, who kind of said that, you know, we, we see something in you guys. You know, what's funny is I think by the time we did our second uh, group of shows with them, uh, Eddie and Missy, I don't know if they were married yet or were about to be married, but they were driving up. They see me and you walking like, you know, from a store. And they not only could tell that we were going over a high spot, they could tell which high spot we were going over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it had to do with something ending with you doing the kip up, which you know hardly anybody did at that point. And it was like yeah. you know, it was like a, kind of some revolutionary stuff we were doing there, including like the yeah, yeah, we had some some really good stuff. I don't even want to go back and look at the matches. I'm afraid they might not be as good as we thought they were. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Dominic in. I always reacted better to a pat on the back than a kick in the butt. And Dominic was yeah. not a back patter, but at the same yeah, time, I true. reacted better with a pat in the back when he finally, like he, he compliments were kind of hard uh, to come by with Dominic. But when he, true. when he pulled us aside after the first uh, Watts shows and he said, I think it was after the first night, he goes, these are boys. They could take this a match anywhere in the world. And uh, I had, that was the highest that. form of, yeah, the highest form of flattery. And I think it was really those, yeah, those shows that we did that uh, made me think, and, and you as well, that I think, you know, I think we can, we can accomplish something in here. I, you know, I, I often look back to those days, especially when I watched the footage that you incredibly presciently thought to, to record. Uh, at Dominic's school, because I was in 10 million lifetimes, I would have never registered for me to even think of doing. And that you have that footage, every time I watch it, it it instantly snaps me right back because those memories are so fresh when you look at the footage. And yeah, that was you know I was lucky. It was uh, uh, was working. We were doing our college uh, documentary project, and I brought uh, <laughs> this. <laughs> To this day, the young lady reminds me of what I put her through. She wouldn't talk to me for about two weeks after we returned. And then when I finally, what did I do? What did I do? And she goes, Nikki, you made me sleep in a car. So she came to, you know, that was the way we rolled, right? Like I was, I remember that yes. the Hampton, it was 40 bucks, 40 bucks back in, you know, the 86. Yeah. I was like, now that's, that's a little over my budget. And so I've got two sleeping bags. You can have one. I'll take the other. But uh, together we did this. Uh, you know, we really did a nice job. And like you said, it was prescient that, uh, you know, she was there. They were recording it. And I was really flattered that when WWE did the uh, For All Mankind DVD, yeah. they included that documentary as an extra. The only thing they changed was the copyrighted music. Um, and it right. really... Uh, 
it held up, and uh, I think it's just it's something I'm just I'm, I'm glad that we have not just you know not just the documentary itself, but the footage and showing where we were at that time. Yeah, it, it really was well done. I, I got to tell you, and I, I'm sure we I've told you this before, but uh, Dominic, you know, when you first were coming, Dominic, and you know, my job was to get to the building early and to the school early and which was like 6 or 7 a.m., uh, like still pitch black outside. And Dominic told me, there's a new kid coming. He always called you Mickey. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and, and he said, uh, there's a kid coming from New York. His name's Mickey and blah, 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 blah. So I get to the building, to the school in Freedom, PA, uh, which is now torn down. And I pull in. It's pitch black outside. It has snowed heavily during the night. And when I first pull in right at the bottom of the stairs, there's a car pulled in and it's running. <laughs> and so I walk over, knowing that this new kid is supposed to be coming. I walk over and I look in and I can't see anything, you know, because he was cocooned in this sleeping bag. And but all, <laughs> in the dark, all I could see was nothing. It was just like a formless mass. And... uh at first, I started thinking, I knocked on the window a couple of times and nothing. And then I started thinking, like, did somebody pull in here and off themselves? Did, like, somebody commit suicide? <laughs> the, and uh, finally, Mickey started moving around and, and, and came out. And that's how, how, how Mick and I first met in the pitch black in Freedom, Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, the, the, the fun that we had there with having no idea that we were going to have any kind of future in wrestling, the, the fun that we had working our asses off, but the fun that we had, I, I always, every weekend look forward to getting back from college to be able to go to school to do that. It was just a load of fun to me. Yeah. You know, uh, somebody just asked me like, uh, you know, what would you have thought if you didn't make it? And I said, well, you know, luckily because of that documentary, you know, would it have been worth it? And I said, you know, I just, uh, I look back to the what I said there. And I, you know, at that time, you know, it was, I think, uh, the fall, uh, fall of 86 or maybe uh, January of 87. And I said, look, likely, in all likelihood, I'm not going to make it in this business. But, uh, you know, the places I've done, the people I've met, the things, you know, the things that I've seen, uh, have made this the greatest experience of my life. And I'd like to think that's the way I would look at it. That's the way sh people should look at it. You know, right. they shouldn't let, you know, one person, you know, and, you know, whether one person decides whether or not you've got that e evasive it thing, like, don't let that define your career. Even guys like, geez, rest his soul, Leon White, didn't think his career was worthwhile because he wasn't in the WWE Hall of Fame. And I'm like, oh, God, no one can ever take away what you've done. Like, you really did Correct. it. Like, please, like, it's a blessing if you get, you know, if you're, if you get inducted. I mean, it was one of the best nights of my life, but I, I you know, I would not have made it. I would not feel like a failure if I was not in. And I think some guys, you know, whether they make it to the top or whether they make it to the Hall of Fame, they do let that define them. Yeah, and that's that's sad because again, we're a culmination of all the experiences of what we have experienced on the road uh, in front of every fan, every audience, every building. Uh, you know, to me, I look back, and although it becomes a haze after a while because of the length, thank God, 
of the career. Uh, to me, anytime somebody comes to me with a story and then starts to give me a, you know, a few points on the story, it, it jumps right back into my brain. Uh, and, and I was with Davey Haskins, who, whenever I went to Bill Watts's uh, UWF, he and I were put together by Eddie Gilbert. And when I was with him, you know, you, you sort of think that it's all there someplace. But as he started telling stories, uh, you know, there was so much more memory there. There was so much more there there uh, as he was telling those stories. But it, again, it wasn't like I was having to fight to find them. They were all right there in my forefront of my memory as soon as those pieces of information started getting tagged in there. I'm, I'm sure you're the same way. Well, there's some, some things I remember every moment of and, uh, and some that just completely evade me, even if they were good matches. I mean, there's some scientific evidence to indicate what it is that allows us to hold <laughs> on to some memories and, uh, and, and, and lose others. But uh, I remember watching a really good match with me and Terry Funk from, uh, ECW, and I'm like, I have no recollection of this match at all, and yet I remember every single second of a barbed wire match that Terry and I had in Japan in in '95. So, like, there may be hmm. matches I'd, of you, with you and I that I don't remember, but yet Polka West Virginia, maybe because it was home of the polka dots, maybe because <laughs> we made it a point. You know, I had you in a rear chin lock, and we were specifically counting the number of fans. And we're turning around, you're fighting yeah. the chin lock just as a way to maneuver your way around so I could count the next six <laughs> people in that, you know, it's 20, 26 people. And, yeah. uh, but yet I, I remember, like, driving home, and there was like a, was like a boy, it was like a fast food slash sit down, but it was like all you can eat Italian for six or seven dollars. And you and I had had a heck of a match in front of 26 people in polka. And it was just like sitting down and rejoicing and just, ta you know, you know, uh, just, ta you know, talking like the future's wide open. And, you know, you have no yeah. idea what's going to happen. But uh, a lot of people go back and they look at those days, you know, as the, you know, the best times of their lives. And I think, uh, you know, I had certainly had some great years uh, where I had a tremendous time. Uh, in the business, but there was something just pure about those days. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, it's, you know, for me, looking back at that time, you know, I can laugh at every story because I remember the exuberance that we both had at all those matches. <laughs> and I often tell the story. I'm curious if you remember this. Do you remember how you and I learned what kayfabe was? <laughs> I remember Dominic was saying it. And, and we had yep. no idea what it meant, right? We and were in, was, uh, yeah, we were in Warren, Ohio at the Armory. Okay. And some, I, I, somebody, you and I were obviously the first match, and uh, we're going over some things, and uh, somebody yells out, K-Fape. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I honestly thought somebody was yelling for a woman named K-Fape. <laughs> and... They, a few seconds later, yelled it a second time, a little more sternly, and uh, then Dominic came over and smacked us and pulled us by the ears into the shower and, you know, and, and asking us if we thought we were big superstars and we were, you know, we didn't have to kayfabe and 
And he went to smack us again. And I, I said, why do you keep smacking us? And he said, you don't know what a fucking kayfabe means? And then he, he must have realized that he had, hadn't taught he had us. He neglected to tell us about that. <laughs> yeah. And he, do you remember this? He sheepishly, like, like, after being so mad, said, I mean, get the fuck away from the person you're working with. And ran out of the shower. And that was, I, that, at least that's how I recall learning what kayfabe meant. <laughs> I do remember your reaction to that when Dominic was going over a finish in the elevator, and you're like, Dominic, what about Casey? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh man, it was we yeah we had a, we had an amazing time, and uh, it was so nice just uh, a few months ago when uh, me, you, and Mark got together. Mark Keenan. Yes, I'm going to see uh, I'm going to see Dickie Flanagan in the uh, when I go to Wheeling uh, next month. Oh, you going head to Wheeling? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Dickie got in Good. touch with me, and he was a he was a guy. Another guy had a you know could could have made it. A good look, um, good yes. worker. Him and Mark Keenan as Dante Danucci. Jason, now we're just throwing out names. People don't even know these names, so we're just basically right. having a private conversation on your podcast. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when, what, what, when are you coming to Wheeling? Uh, December fifteenth. Ah, I'm gonna be in <laughs> go figure. I mean, I'm gonna be on the other side of the state. I'll be in Philadelphia that weekend, or I uh, you know, yeah, Philadelphia, Chester, Pennsylvania. Ah, uh, but we we yeah, we gotta hook up again. Are you are you in Wrestlecade this weekend? No, no, I'm not. Uh, I, I had a great time there last year. Hopefully, I'll be back next year, but uh, not this year. Well, you we'll do okay. it sooner or later. You'll be at WrestleCon for sure, right? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, let's let's book it, uh, Shane. I gotta I gotta <laughs> run, but uh, I really just want to uh, wish you a happy, you know, uh, mistaken birthday, and uh, <laughs> always a pleasure to talk to you. I think uh, you have one of the liveliest uh, Twitter feeds uh, in the business, and I encourage people uh, to uh, to 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 check it out. I'll probably go on Twitter now and encourage people to check it out. I appreciate it, man. Good having you on, man. Thank you. All right. Always a pleasure. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.